Welcome to Meet the Author at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome this evening's guest author, Patricia Cornwell. This looks like a very intelligent technical crowd. I wonder why. So let me, you know, I want you to know, first of all, I've never done an Apple event. And one of the reasons this is really fun for me is that I admit I am a closet Apple fiend. Um, not that you probably care, but I write my books on iMacs, and I use iPhones and iPads, and my, my characters in my novels are very Mac shop. Um, that's not why I'm here, but I had to confess that because it's the truth. And technology is really quite fascinating because, you know, my series, the Scarpetta series, is now, this January will be 24 years old. And can you imagine how I've had to change technology in my books? And it's been very important for me to keep up with it. For example, when we start, if you start with postmortem, you have these laborious transactions where you're, you're dialing in with the modem. And um, there's no such thing, really, as cell phones. There's no such thing as people using the internet. And so one of my big challenges at, as to keep this series fresh and all of my work fresh is to make sure that I continue to have my characters occupy the same world that the rest of us do. And that's also what's fun about it. So let me tell you just a little bit about dust. And here's the, the thing I want you to keep in mind. In a few minutes, I'm going to be quiet. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope some of you will start asking questions. Because what I really want to do is get in a dialogue and you ask me anything you want. I'm, I'm pretty fearless. Not too, too easily insulted. So you just fire away. But getting back to keeping my characters in the same world the rest of us occupy, I had a very unusual thing happened when I was just beginning dust. Um, about this same time of year, I happened to be in Washington in a senator's office, and we were talking about the problem of violence in America. We, this is somebody I've had many conversations with over the decades about this, this subject and our mutual interest in, in that problem and also what's going on with law enforcement. The minute I walked out of his office into his sitting area, all over the flat screen TVs on the wall, were the Sandy Hook shootings in Newtown, Connecticut, which you may or may not be familiar with, with 26, 27 people killed, most of them children, um, by this young man who walked in with an assault rifle. And I was not only horrified and very depressed by this, but as I was flying back to Boston, one of the things that entered my mind is, you know, if Scarpetta really existed, she'd already be on her way to Connecticut because her office in Massachusetts is not that far, and she would be there to help her colleagues with this atrocity. And that led me to another thought, which was, what would that do to her? I'm not, I wasn't in, interested in trying to do something horrible and show you those scenes, because I think you get enough of a dose of it just in her own memory. But what does that do to these first responders who have to show up and deal with these things. Now she's dealt with about everything you can imagine in all these years that I've written about her. So I decided to open the book in a very different way where she's just come back from that and she thinks that she's okay, but she immediately comes down with the flu. So we find her at a very low vulnerable point when the, pho when the phone rings around three o'clock in the morning and she's called to a crime scene. And this begins to set the stage for what goes on in the book because I'm dealing with a type of killer that her FBI profiler husband calls a spectacle killer. 
which is somebody who not only is driven by compulsions, um, but also is driven by a craving for attention. And I'm sure all of you follow the news, and we've seen more than our share of these types of killings in America, um, of, of the random shootings and shopping malls and movie theaters, um, or the marathon bomber in Boston and how the survivor uh, terrorist, alleged terrorist, his reward is to be on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. So this is the, how, how bad this is going. So this is something that I deal with. And if you're interested in dust, you will find a lot of technology, but also a lot of the same issues and um, advances and setbacks that you follow in the news daily. So that's a little bit in a nutshell. What I'd like to hear is what's on your mind tonight. Who's going to be a brave person and ask me a question? Out of all of your books, which have you found the most difficult to, and most challenging to write, and why? Oh, well, without a doubt, that'd be the Jack the Ripper book. Um, I'm, I'm finishing a revision of it or a remake of it now after 10 years since it's come out, and I still am overwhelmed by the, the magnitude of how much work and research, um, trying to reconstruct something that old, very, very demanding, uh, in fact, I would not sure I'd want to put myself through that all over again because it's uh, so incredibly difficult. For example, in Scarpetta's world or my novels, if I, I, can, I can make the weather suit the scene. Well, you can't do that in nonfiction. You need to go through the old newspapers and make sure the weather on a given day or when a certain crime was committed is exactly what the weather really was back then. So that, that still is probably the most arduous project I've ever had. Who else? Yes. I knew Jack the Ripper would open you up. It always does. Um, you need quiet and seclusion to write. Did you get the luxury of that when you wrote Postmortem? Did I get much quiet and, and privacy when I was writing Postmortem? I, I actually, I, what I would do, because I was working full-time at the medical examiner's office, so when I would have any free time, I usually would sit up very late at night, and I had a little space where I could close the door, and I would make, make my quiet. Um, the difference is I've, now, it's, I, I find it so important that I actually have a view. I can't just look at cinder block very easily. I mean, I, I, mean, I do much better if I can look at water. Um, are you a writer? Because uh, some, they're all different. Some people don't want to look at anything, and they'll have a desk facing a wall. Me, I want to look out either at, at mountains, a sort of an unobstructed view, and my favorite is water, especially if I can hear it. It just sort of gets me into a rhythm and helps me go through that looking glass I need to go through. Who else? Yes. Do you have an end game in mind for Scarpetta? Do you know where she's going to end up eventually? <laughs> do do I know where Scarpetta's going to end up eventually? Uh, no. When I get in, in, when I transfuse myself or channel into this character, that's part of the fun and the insecurity of it. Is is I have to let her do what she would do, and that may sound a little crazy, but it really does work that way. And so, I don't always know what she's going to do. For example, in Dust. When she responds to this, this crime scene at the early, in the early hour mornings, this woman out in the middle of an athletic field almost looks asleep, wrapped up in a weird cloth, um, and she shines an ultraviolet light, and all this powdery stuff starts fluorescing. It looks like, um, you know, just neon lights. And it doesn't matter so much what the forensic analysis of it is. What matters is what she's going to do with it in her head. 
And so that's where it becomes an interesting journey. And I, I start following the way that, that she will work this case using not only her great scientific analytical abilities, but she's also got a very keen intuition and deductive abilities. And so she, you never, I'm never so sure what she's going to think until she starts thinking it. And that, that also makes it fun. Yes. How much of your own personality is in Dr. Scarpetta or in Lucy, being your two main characters? I have a little bit of me in all of the characters. Um, you might say we all share the same DNA, but we're also very different people. I mean, I'm an English major. You know, I went into journalism and I wanted to be a writer. Scarpetta is a forensic pathologist, a forensic radiologist, and she also has her law degree. And so she's... She can do this stuff for real, you know, but I can write about it. So she's, um, she's Italian. Um, she's married to an FBI agent. Her life is very different from mine. But what we do have in common is we have the same sensibilities. Her, her, her ethics and what she thinks is right and wrong and how she's going to go after a bad person that's done something and the sort of the rules for her, the way she lives her life are pretty much the same as mine. And the, the, the most important common denominator is Scarpetta may not always obey certain rules. And you're going to see that in Dust because she kind of breaks bad because she's had enough of something. But what she doesn't ever do is abuse power. Because all of these horrific crimes that I write about in my books, or even if you're talking about the crimes that Jack the Ripper committed, the, they all have the same thing in common. Someone took power over somebody who was vulnerable. And that starts from the most minor thing of the way you treat somebody that you have some dominance over. It could be someone waiting on your table. Um, it could be someone who works in your office. Uh, that's how it all begins. It's, it's a, abusing power that you have in any given situation. And I always make that my rule that I try very hard in my own life to, I mean, I've certainly got all my peccadilloes and idiosyncrasies and um, stupid things that I do, but I try very hard not to do that. Lucy, um, Lucy, I, I, she's, uh, I do a lot of the same things that Lucy does. I like the kind of cars that she drives. We both fly helicopters. Um, I'm very interested in technology, but she's an absolute wizard at all this stuff. She's much better at it than I am, and she would tell you that if you asked, so... Um, you and Kathy, Kathy Wright came to, came to the scene at, uh, scene at about the same time with your characters. And there's a lot of similarities between Scarpetta and uh, Dr. Brennan. Have you guys ever gotten together and thought about writing a book together? Well, actually, I've, I'm flattered that you think we came around, along about the same time. I'm probably, I might be a little bit older than she is. I don't know. But my, actually, Scarpetta came out in 1990, so I think she sort of predates um, uh, those books. But, you know, I've, I've actually never, we've never met. So, but I don't think, I don't think I could ever co-write a book with somebody. I just, I think the characters would all get confused and one would say, but I thought you were doing that. And the other would say, but I thought you were doing that. And they might even disagree on how to handle the evidence. Um, but all joking aside, I don't, I, I don't think I could, I don't think I'd be very good. It's, it's interesting that a lot of authors are doing things like that, though. You know, they're, uh, take James Patterson. He has a lot of different writers that he works with. And I think it's great if you can do that, but I don't, I don't think I could. I, I like to be solitary. 
and creating that world. And it means I'm only going to probably do like one book a year as a result. But it, it's best if I just do it myself, I think. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you, um, Ms. Cornwell. I've been reading your, your book since I was in school. And I just wanted to know, you spoke about um, how the evolution of technology is reflected in, in your work now in the last 24 years. Um, how do you think the criminal mind has evolved in these 24 years? And how is that reflected in Dr. Scarpetta's, um, you know, how she deals with crime today from what she did 24 years ago? Well, it's a little bit what I was saying earlier. It, what, you know, when I was writing in the 1990s, the monster was the serial killer. You know, not that they, that isn't still a monster, and not that I don't still write about those types of people. And in fact, Dust sort of deals with somebody who is a serial killer, but at the same time, there's this element of this new monster uh, that, that we're seeing more and more of, is, which is somebody who also is doing it for attention. And the, the types of crimes that Scarpetta is seeing the, like the one she just came back from when the book opens. When I was first starting my series, there was just, you never heard of such a thing as that. I mean, and then you had Columbine, and that was a real shocker, if you're familiar with that, with the school shootings at Columbine. And I remember a forensic pathologist said to me when that happened, and that was at some point in the 1990s, um, she said, once this door starts opening, it will just open wider and wider and wider because other disturbed people get the idea that if, if nothing else, if they do something like this, they're going to get a huge amount of attention, even if the ultimate price is that they lose their own life in the process. So this is very troubling because Benton Wesley, for example, the profiler in Dust, he, he's having a conversation with Scarpetta about this very thing, and that as an FBI profiler, it's useless. You can't predict who's going to do this next when it's not the same person, when it's a one-time thing where somebody who's been living in his basement goes out and starts shooting us up a school and then dies in the process. The, the, the usual tools of dealing with this just fail. And in fact, even forensic pathology isn't necessarily all that useful. You're going to do these autopsies because you're mandated by law, but the suspect's dead. Mainly you're going to be dealing with any litigation that comes up afterwards, and there's not going to be a trial. So... These are so the, the, I think that the types of killers that we're worried about have changed. It's more of an element of terrorism, not necessarily with, you know with different religions or ethnic groups, but also just with our own people who are terrorizing us, making us think, if I go out shopping or go to a movie, am I safe? So that and so these are some of the issues that my characters are are dealing with in dust. Hi, Ms. Cornwell. My question to you is about pathology, if that's all right. Um, my friend, she's American, and we spoke about this over the last few years, that you do not need a degree to become a pathologist in America. And I'd like to ask you, what are your thoughts on that? That, that you don't need what? A degree to become a pathologist. Oh, you, oh I know what you're thinking. Um, you actually do. It's, uh, to be a, a forensic pathologist requires a tremendous amount of education and certification. You might be thinking about the weird thing we have in the United States, which are coroners. And unlike coroners here, a coroner is in, in, in many, particularly more rural areas, is simply someone elected. It's a, it's a political office. And for, I'll tell you a true story. I was at a death investigation school a year or two ago, and these were all 
people who are coming to try to get better equipped at dealing with in investigating death. And this one woman raised her hand and she said, I was just elected district attorney in this particular place, not realizing that that also makes me the coroner. And she said, and other than holding a mirror in front of somebody's mouth, I don't know how to know that I don't know how to tell if someone's dead. Can you please help me? Now that that's terrible. And so I think that's a bad problem that people who are investigating death need to have appropriate training. And it also can be a conflict of interest in some areas where if a local funeral home director is elected coroner, well, you can see how there could be a conflict of interest there. It's, gee, it's amazing how all those bodies end up at the same place. So, so that there's not a uniform system. You know, you read about Scarpetta, and I wish that were true everywhere, and, uh, but it's not. She's a great exception to a rule. Yes, sir. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you. I just wanted to ask you a question. Um, you've got a number of inspirational characters in your book who the protagonist on the good side, and it's obviously beautiful to explore their relationship in the story. But for you, on the other side, on the darker side of things, the actual criminals, the murderers, which actual book or sequence of books was hardest for you to actually create, but also in your own mind to visit? You mean which sequence of, of my own? Um, that's That would be when I, for a while, switched over to the third-person point of view, starting with Blowfly. Blowfly, Predator, Book of the Dead in particular, I had a really hard, I was really uncomfortable. And I think my fans were too. Um, I got a lot of criticism for those books. They, people did not like it when they weren't inside Scarpetta's head anymore, and I think they didn't like being inside the killer's head. And I didn't like it either. I mean, one day I was sitting at my desk working on Book of the Dead, which is a very dark, violent book. Um, and let's just put it this way, it has some cannibalism type stuff in it. And I was sitting at my desk eating a roast beef sandwich and I took one look at it and I said, oh dear God. Uh, and you know, I've never, I will not eat rare roast beef anymore after that. And so I, I, um, I mean, I'm, I scared myself with that stuff. So those were really difficult. And th so then what my progression was with Scarpetta and the Scarpetta factor, the next two, I didn't go inside the killer's mind. And then I just said, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm going back to just being in Scarpetta's mind. So that's where Port Mortuary, Red Mist, uh, the, the Bone Bed, and now Duster. That's, that's where we are and that's where we're going to stay. Those may have been uncomfortable to read, but for me, the Shandon series were, were some of my favorites. They were, they were brutal, so thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, I, you know, I love, the sh I, I love that awful Shandon. Um, and again, though, those are, those are still classic Scarpetta there told from her point of view. But for sure, for those who haven't read, you would Jean-Baptiste Chandon is the, the antagonist, the, pro, you know, the villain in, a, a, uh, in Black Notice. And you also will meet him again many years later. But he's a character. In the, and the, the research I did in France was quite interesting for that book. Um, including getting a water sample sample from the Seine and having it analyzed back in the States to see what kind of diatoms and other microscopic stuff might be in it. That would help Scarpetta identify where a body actually went into the water over there. So that, that was a fun book.
Mrs. Cornwall, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, the, fir the first book of yours I've read was The Book of the Dead, and I totally loved it. Since then, you've been releasing a book almost every year. So I was wondering, how much research do you actually need to do before you release a new book? Thank you. I, I do a lot of research, but the nice thing is I've been doing this for so long that I have many layers of civilization in terms of knowledge to draw upon. So for... And, and, I, and I continue to associate with the real people in the field, so I will hear about new technology. For example, I knew about, as if you've read the more recent book, Scarpetta also has a CT scanner in her medical examiner's office now, which is, is, is the new technology that's being used, where you can get these amazing um, three-dimensional images of a body inside and out before you ever take a blade to it. So it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And I hear about these things, and then I can start looking into them, so I keep on top of what's really going on. And if I don't know something, I know enough to know where to ask to find out um, how to best describe this, or is there a place where I can actually see this being done? For example, the CT scans, there aren't that many places yet that are doing it, because for one thing, the machines, are very, the scanners are very expensive, and you have to have trained people. They're not your typical CT scans, because like you go, you know, if you have an injury or something, um, they don't care how much radiation they use in these things because these people are already dead. So they're, they're rather different. Um, and, and extremely, the vision, the, the images are extremely intense. So I would go to the chief medical examiner's office in Baltimore where they're doing it and I could watch this um, so that when I have Scarpetta doing it, I can describe it in a way that makes you feel you're right there watching it with her. So the research is always important in every book I do. For example, in the one I'm just starting right now, I decided she's gonna have to deal with um, an underwater crime scene in an ocean. And so I had to go back and uh, refresh my scuba diving because I hadn't done that since I wrote uh, Cause of Death. So, so I was doing a lot of, last few months I've been doing a lot of diving down in Florida, getting back up to speed and getting over my phobias about that. Because my biology says, it is not normal to inhale underwater. Hello. Um, when do we think we see Scarpetta in, in some films? Boy, that is, the, that is the holy grail question, isn't it? Um, well, where we are right now is the, the Scarpetta is, is optioned by 20th Century Fox. We've been four years in development, what is really still script development. And one hopes that soon they will get a script that they really feel comfortable with so they can start going into production. But that's always been, the holdup has always been the scripts. 23 years of this, she's been optioned since the beginning of this series by one studio after another. And it's, um, I'm beginning to think that she, it's her fault, that she just doesn't want this to happen for some reason. She's a very private person. You notice she never shows up anywhere I go. She has yet to sit through even one of my lectures or talks and it hurts my feelings a little bit. So it's, um, but, but that's, so it's, it's, I wish I had some real dramatic news for you on that front, but that's kind of where it is right now. I was going to ask, with, with the script, when you talk about the script, would it be you that would, would you be the person behind this? Would you be writing the script, or would that be somebody else? No, it's probably, it would be somebody else. There is, generally in Hollywood, they don't really want the author getting involved in the writing process or the, even the early development process. And not necessarily for a bad reason. They, they sometimes, 
the author's view, myself included, it may be too confining because you're dealing with a totally different medium. You know, you're dealing with cinematography, with acting, and with a story that is seen and heard and not read. And so oftentimes it's not impossible that authors can write great scripts. It's usually assumed they're, they're probably not going to. So we just, you know, so, and I've, I've actually written a few myself, but, and mine aren't as bad as some of the ones I've seen, but I probably should keep my day job. Hi, I was just wondering what motivated you recently to do a press release regarding new Sicket things when the book's not going to be possibly re-released until next year. Why do a press release now? A, a press release on the the new the Ripper. Yeah. Well, I it really it, it really wasn't a press release. What happened is I was doing an interview in New York when Dust just came out, and this very crafty reporter, uh, you know boom bamboozled me over into that horrible ripper corner where I always end up and he simply said asked how the the rewrite you know the the, the revision was going and I said well I'm almost finished but it won't be out for at least a year he says well can you give me just a clue of something in it that's going to be different like a dummy I did so that went everywhere so that's how that happened and so this this is a but it I, that's a subject that that I'd don't ever get away from and 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 I don't I don't really mind it because it's a fascinating subject you're talking about the most infamous crimes really in history and no matter what I have to say about them or what I believe or what I can show you no one's ever going to be finished exploring these cases because they're so they're so interesting and mysterious and at this point so legendary your scarpetta cookbooks are they from your family or just recipes that you've picked up from traveling? Well, my Scarpetta cookbooks, that's an interesting little story. Um, I, I don't, I cook very much the way I write. It's a very organic process. I, I don't measure. You know, I'll, I'll fill a green pepper with water and how do you explain that in a cookbook that you put one green pepper full of water in this? So, I mean, I do things in a weird sort of way. And, but my fans, very early on, they love the cooking in fact, if I don't put cooking in a Scarpetta book, I get more complaints about that than you can imagine. They get, people complain about that more than if Scarpetta doesn't have sex in the whole book. And so they'll say, so I told her, I said, listen, I don't care where you are or how busy, you are having food in this book. You have to. It's mandated by the fans. So early on, some of the fans that I would see at book signings, you remember those where there were actually bookstores everywhere? Um, I said, can't, can't you put together some of these recipes for these foods that she serves? So I did a little book called Scarpetta's Winter Table, which is um, a real one-off and very hard to find. It's sort of a, a cooking story. It's a, a Christmas story that's full of her cooking and not a single dead body in it. Imagine that. But that, the problem is I didn't put any measurements in it. I kept saying, you know, to taste. You know, spice to taste, garlic to taste. So the fans got even more upset after that because they said, we've tried to do this and I can't do this without measurements. So, fi you know, so finally, my agent arranged to have a real bona fide chef come spend a couple days with me and we did everything backwards. We cooked the dishes and then she deconstructed them and figured out the measurements of what had to go in and she was taking notes. And that became food to die for. Um, 
the, which the, the official sort of Scarpetta cookbook. But most of that, it's it's things that either I have made or Scarpetta has made. Um, and I, I still have any any of you had that book? Well, I still I still think that we might want to do a sequel at some point. I, from Marino's point of view, how would you like a Marino cookbook? We called Food That Will Kill You. Yeah, if you wasn't you became a writer, what other life um, dreams about your career while growing up you had, just in case the writing wouldn't work out, like any plan B? That's a good question. Do I have a plan B if the writing didn't work out? Not really. Um, you know, my history very briefly was I, I wanted to be a writer, and it was suggested when I graduated from college that um, maybe I should try to get a job at the local newspaper at least get my foot in the door doing something involved writing, which is how I ended up in journalism and, and being a, a police reporter, which is what got me interested in crime. And then I did a biography of Billy Graham's wife. I know that makes no sense at all uh, when you think of going from crime to Billy Graham's wife, but she was a, a very dear friend of mine I grew up around. And when I was finished with that, I said to myself, I know two things. I'm very interested in police work, and I, and I like writing books, so maybe I'll write books about crime. And I'd never read a murder mystery or anything else. And I began to do research by going down to the medical examiner's office, where fairly early on I started doing work for them as a volunteer, and then I got a job. Well, six years later, and all those rejections later, you know, uh, three crime novels rejected, post-mortem rejected for the better part of a year, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I tried to go back to journalism, but nobody would hire me. They said, we don't have a morgue beat. Um, literally, I was told that by the Wall Street Journal. And and I, I thought, well, I guess I can just continue being a computer programmer for the state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, because that's what I was doing. I was I was the, the programmer and did all the statistical analysis for the, the statewide medical examiner's office. Um, but I did not have a good plan B. I just, th this was my, and still is my passion. It is who I am. And one of the things I tell people, no matter what it is, whether it's a form of art or something else that you feel compelled to do, rejection is not necessarily a measure of your worth because if it were, I would not be sitting here. So if you really love something enough, hopefully it's gonna love you back and don't, don't give up. Um, you, it's it's really important that you follow your dream. I loved uh, loved the first Jack the Ripper book. Um, when can we expect the new one? When can we expect the new Jack the Ripper book? Her, hopefully early 2015. We've got to get the next Scarpetta out next fall, and then hopefully it's going to come after that. It's a slow process because unlike fiction, even though I'm almost completely done with the this, the, the revision, the rewrite. There's a lot of legal things you have to deal with because uh, you have to get, there's copyright issues, there are permissions, it has to be gone through by lawyers. It's a, and then one thing I think you'll find very interesting, this is going to take a little time too, is the e-version, since we're here with all the techies tonight, we're going to have a lot of embedded links so that if I show you, if I talk about a watermark match or I talk about a certain um, photograph of a body in the, quote, dead house, or, or whatever it is, there's going to be lots of embedded links if you want to click on it and look at it right there. 
So you can kind of investigate the case as you're reading this. You can look at these things yourself, if it's an unusual letter or a work of art. Um, and so that this is a time-consuming process. And obviously, since this is sort of a new type of technology, it's got to be a lot of troubleshooting. We, we don't, you know, you want to make sure that you don't have something like that ready for people to download, and then there's a lot of problems with it. So it, that's really why this is going to take so long. Um, you take some lovely photographs. Um, any plans to join Instagram? I, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I have not thought of joining Instagram. I, I have, maybe I should. I, 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 it's, it's a lot, I, I spend a lot of time keeping up with Twitter and Facebook, um, um, Google Plus and my website, but mainly Twitter and Facebook are, because I actually, I, I do it myself. Um, if I don't, I mean, I may not post it myself, but I write it myself. Sometimes I have to have someone else post it if I'm not able to. But how many of you are into, tw are into the social media? Of course, I would expect nothing less. And I know this will disappoint you, but Scarpetta still is not tweeting. Lucy, sorry. Oh, well, see, uh, she's, she's gone rogue on me then. If she tweeted you, she's gone rogue on me. So, um, well, you must have quite a special status then. Did she ask you how you were feeling? Because, well, good, because that's never good if she asks you how you're feeling. And if she says, if you feel really bad, give me a call. It's much worse. Well, I'm glad Scarpetta tweeted you. Um, and I will have a word with her about this later because I've warned her that it's dangerous to go around tweeting people. I'm so, if any of my other characters tweet you, would you please let me know? I have a right to, to know these things. I think we have time for maybe one more question. Um, have you ever thought about the possible risk of a disturbed individual um, getting inspiration from one of your books in a bad way, obviously? You know, there's always someone disturbed that could get inspiration. And, and actually, I've, I've visited penitentiaries where the, the female inmates, I was, I was shocked at how many of them are my readers. Um, I have a huge prison fan base. But what I would say to that is if they got inspired, they obviously did a lousy job. <laughs> You've been a great audience. If you have something you need me to sign, I will hang around for a while. So thank you very much.